0: Welcome back to part two of my conversation with Andrea Swenson.
1: To the NPG music club room, and you know, I was used to going out there, and you might have to wait around for like hours before anything happened. But this night, Prince walked right out and shook both of our hands, you know, greeted Bobby, and then put his hand out to me. And, um, you know, I said, Hi, I'm Andreas. <laughs> Once <laughs> and then he just looked at me like, I know <laughs> I brought you here, no, you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those, like,
0: What was that moment?
1: Experiences?
0: Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, did it, did you have to remember to breathe? Like, yes. did, was it like?
1: <sighs> it took me about 10 minutes to acclimate to being around him um, because I was so, you know, you just hear all the stories, and mm-hmm. I was expecting something like weird to happen, like like he was going to put me on my, you know, back foot and do something unexpected. And so I just felt like I need to stay in my body. <laughs> like, okay, just stay here, <laughs> breathe. You're fine. You're in Manhattan, Minnesota. Right. Like nothing bad's <laughs> going to happen.
0: Like right, it's Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: But I do remember having a feeling like as soon as I met him and stood eye to eye and with his platform shoes on, we were, we were like directly eye to eye. And mm-hmm. I was like, his eyes are huge and he is looking through me, like into me. Right. Like, just <laughs> what a, what a gaze that, that man had. Right. Like, and, um, nothing that was, I
0: can hide.
1: <laughs> yes, Yeah. It was incredibly disarming. And, um, then, you know, he kind of jokingly said, like, make yourself at home, go ahead and go in the kitchen if you're hungry, like, all these kind of funny things. Like, I was going to go in his kitchen and make a sandwich <laughs> or something. Um, and then eventually he brought us into his studio, Studio B. And as we were walking down the hallway from the um, NPG Music Club room to the studio, he turned around and looked right at me and said, I just don't know why people have to do that and talk about anniversaries of things and this and that. And then he turned to Bobby and he goes, Bobby, you remember when we were in high school together? <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I was talking to Bobby about this recently, It's like to him, like the whole experience of being in a band was like high school, basically. So he's given me a hard time for, you know, focusing on his past. And then to prove the point, we get to the studio and he swings the door open. And he's like, I don't care about any of that. This is what I'm focused on now. Yeah. come in the studio and he played, you know, all the new Third Eye Girl music he'd been working on. Artificial wow. Age was in production at that point. This was three months before those two albums came out. So um, he played me a lot of stuff. Third Eye Girl was in the studio. I'd gotten to know them a little bit. Yeah. Um, he actually sent them to The Current to have me interview them before I, I met him, um, which might have been some kind of test, test. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how she'll do, right? <laughs> what did you think the of the new night- music? Well, there, it kind of was going all over the place because he had these two albums and he, he wanted me to hear both of them. And then he had other music that he played me that was not on those albums. Okay. Like He had a song he had made with Rita Ora that I really liked. Um, that I don't think has ever been released. And he had a new protege that I hadn't heard anything about before or since, (laughs) who um, he had made a song with that I didn't think was very good. And, um, but for the most part, my main reactions were, wow, he listens to music super loud. (laughs) I can hear like, I can hear the music in my skin. Mm -hmm. Like it's so loud. And, and he's doing some really interesting things like he was really it seemed like he was trying to experiment with a lot of the kind of emerging trends in like electro pop and dance and honestly like a lot of stuff that was happening in the Twin Cities and I could hear it in the music and I could hear that he was experimenting and not necessarily trying to make like one cohesive thing but it was just a lot of different Styles of music, you know, Third Eye Girl is like so heavy. Right. And so, like, you know, 70s funk rock. And then he, some of the stuff that he was doing with like Hannah singing lead sounds like it could be on like a Disney movie. Right. <laughs> like, right. It was like right. really bright, poppy. And so it was kind of all over the place. And I was just, I think that was my main takeaway is like, wow, he's like really searching for something and like really actively just exploring in the studio. And I thought that was really cool just to hear the range. Um, And at that point, he hadn't released an album in, I think, four years or something. So it was cool to know that he had a lot, you know, that he was Mm -hmm. working on and and planning. So that was exciting just to get a, you know, a sampler platter of print. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. A sampler platter. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, you know, and then I'm sure you've heard the story of how he kind of said goodbye that night i've told it a bunch but um he you know we went back to the npg music club room after we were in the studio and we actually chatted for like quite a while more um there and i was working um i was working on my first book about the minneapolis sound in the 70s and i started asking him questions like So speaking of, I can't remember how I got him on this topic, but like what radio stations would you listen to? And I was, you know, what instruments would you play at school? And, you know, things like that, Mm -hmm. like just kind of dropping in things. And I could tell he was like very interested in the fact that I wanted to talk about that. Um, We talked about a documentary he had been watching. Um, I think it's called The Art of Hip Hop. And it's about how um, the DJ scratching culture, got started because the schools were so underfunded that instead of having instruments they only had these old turntables and the kids started playing with them and figuring out how to make that happen Mm -hmm. and he was really excited to tie that to his own upbringing in a school that had a lot of instruments available and you know he was so passionate about wanting to make music more accessible to young people and I could just tell like he was very animated and wanting to talk about that Um, and we talked about how he briefly played the saxophone, which I didn't know. And he said that, um, he had to quit because it chapped his lips and he didn't want to have chapped lips. (laughs) And then he told me that, um, if you ever, (laughs) he said, if you've ever shaken Sheila E's hand, you'll know what I mean. She's got tough hands. (laughs) Yeah. So he didn't want tough lips. Um. So that was kind of a cute little story, <laughs> and I don't know. We were just like chatting, and it yeah. was it was really great. And and then it was kind of winding down, and um, it was getting really late. And he had this band playing in the NPG room. I think Kirk was on drums, and I wish I could remember everyone else that was playing, but I know he had a guitar player that was visiting him from Australia named Darren Hartz. and he was like a really young person at the time, like maybe twenty or something he was there and he was had been like jamming with Prince in the studio. So he was playing and I remember they were playing, um, I can't make you love me. Uh, you know, the Bonnie Reed song that he covered and, and he reached out his hand and he was like, do you want to dance? (laughs) And I was so unsure of how to react to that question. (laughs) I'm sure I turned beet red and, um, And before I, you know, could respond, he he jerked his hand away and he was like, just kidding. And he laughed and he was like slapping his leg because he thought it was so funny. And then he was like, no, I'm serious. Do you want to dance? And then he did it again. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) And I'm just like dying. I don't think I moved the whole time this like brief interaction happened. I'm just like. (laughs) (laughs) And he kind of like did this like victory lap around Bobby who was standing next to me and me and laughing and like thinking he's just so funny and Bobby just leaned in and he was like I think you have a new friend (laughs) I think so too what is happening (laughs) (laughs) it was just very um
0: yeah oh my god (laughs) so when you left that night you're driving home you're driving down five what is going through your head?
1: Well, I called my husband who stayed up, you know, to make sure that like everything we were both just like, what is happening? So it was I think probably two thirty or three in the morning when I left and he was still waiting up for me to see what, what happened. Mm-hmm. And I called him and I just started like blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And then this happened and then this happened and then this happened and then <laughs> but I, I remember saying And he's just so normal. People talk about him like he's this weirdo, and he's actually just a normal, Mm. cool guy, and he was so kind to me, and he was so funny, and he was so warm, and I wish people wouldn't talk about him like that. And it's not like anything weird happened. I mean, I was sitting on, like, an overstuffed purple plush chair, like I was in Alice in Wonderland, and there was (laughs) Finding Nemo. But that's normal. (laughs) And that environment that is super normal. (laughs) But other than that, it was, he was so normal. And like, I just, in that moment, I was like, I'm so mad at everyone that ever wrote about him. Like he's this alien creature Mm because he's just this guy. And he made this world for himself so he could just be himself Mm. and be this artist (laughs) and exist in privacy and create. And I just felt like I saw that part of him so clearly that night. And I'm so grateful that I got that kind of like, Glimpse into him and how he constructed his world
0: wow I mean I almost see that as you having you know the opportunity that you have now with his legacy um, like it was foreseen and he knew she's the one. Hmm. There,
1: I mean, I can't speculate beyond what I know, but and what I experienced myself. But there is, um, there's just something odd about coming up on now the ten year anniversary of all of that happening. I mean, he changed everything for me, and it it really all goes back to that moment, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's very surreal. I struggle with these moments where um, I just got like the diamonds and pearl box set and there's a sticker on the front with my name on it as one of the liner notes writers. And I open the table of contents and I'm like, I like can't process that. That doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to sit that on the shelf and maybe in another 10 years, I will understand mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But right now it's, it does not compute. Um, yeah, but what I do know for sure is that after he passed, um, another event that was one of those moments in my career where, um, I didn't realize it at the time that I was speaking to this huge audience of people. Um, but I was just there in the moment covering it as like a local Mm -hmm. journalist, you know, Mm -hmm. and And that whole thing was such a ride for like two months and so much intensity and pressure. And then, um, that summer I ended up going out to lunch with, um, some of his former like bandmates and and staff. And, and one of them told me, um, Prince really liked your writing. He would talk about it. And I just started sobbing and, um, like that, I mean, that has already been seven years and I'm just starting to figure out what that means, but it, it was like this incredible validation of this like lifelong endeavor for me to be taken seriously as a writer and as a journalist really? and as a woman, like a woman in this field that there aren't that many of me in Minnesota anyways. And, and just to know that he saw something in me has mm-hmm. been like the wind in my sails for you know, so many years now. And anytime when I get up on that rung on the ladder and look down and go, "Oof," I don't think I deserve to be up here. Like I, I just think about that. And I'm like, you know what? I am. Everything I'm doing is for him Mm -hmm. and it's to honor this gift that he gave me and this opportunity that he gave me. And I can think about it when I'm old and retired and in the nursing home. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe then it'll make sense. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I just, I think all of those moments were preparing you for what was to come.
1: Yeah, maybe. I I mean, he did that for so many people. Mm-hmm. Like, here's another story. <laughs> so I was interviewed for a local news station called Care 11. They were doing a documentary about Minnesota music. And this was in 2013. Or 2014. I actually don't know. I'd have to look it up. But anyway, um, the artist that I chose to talk about in my segment was the Chalice, which is Lizzo's first group here in Minnesota. Okay. And I was really excited about them, just like a big early champion of their music and played them on my show and interviewed them and had them in the studio to perform and all the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I was just pushing them really hard. And I knew that something was going to happen with them and um so I was talking about them on this program it aired on a Saturday night at 9 30 p.m and at 9 34 p.m I get an email from Prince and his camp can you put us in touch with the chalice and (laughs) I just cannot get over the fact that Prince is out at Paisley Park sitting in that little kitchen on his couch watching the local news (laughs) on a Saturday night (laughs) and going "Ooh." I like these girls let's bring them out you know let's see see what they're about so um he he was doing that all the time and I'm sure there's so many stories that we haven't even heard yet about artists that got that kind of boost and that kind of validation from him just because Mm -hmm. he was drawn to young emerging talent Talent. that was that was something that really energized him
0: wow so what was what was it like at NPR um After his passing, Um, I think that's when I started listening. I I think I was on Facebook and somehow got to NPR, The Current, something, you know, you guys were doing. And then I was like, oh, and then I just kind of tuned in and and was always on and and all of that. But what was it like during that time for for you guys? It was very focused on him for quite some time. So yeah. just wonder what it was like for everyone there yeah. at the station at that time.
1: Um, well, just leading up to that moment, you know, we already had such a strong relationship with him that really, like the last several years of his life just got stronger and stronger. Um, he had had some of our staff out, for a meeting about um, wanting to start his own radio station. That was something he was interested in doing. He had us come out for basically like a focus group to introduce us to Judith Hill and talk about how we would like market her. He was just um, really, yeah, interested in, in what we had to say about the music industry and also um, just wanting to be involved somehow. Mm-hmm. So through that work, We had started developing a bigger catalog of his music because, um, you know, when you are a radio station and you play Prince, there's a tendency to go to like the same 15 songs all the time. But we wanted to deepen the catalog and just have more available. And we came up with this idea to pull this stunt. And I think this was only a year before he died um, when it snowed one inch in Chanhassen the first time that winter. We would flip a switch and we literally made a purple switch. This is how dorky we are at Minnesota Public Radio. (laughs) Flip the Prince switch and we would go all Prince and play his music A to Z and do it like with the titles of the songs A to Z. So we were like furiously ingesting all of his music and getting all of his albums and building out like a Prince discography in our system. Mm -hmm. So we did that. He listened to it. which is, um, I've learned more later, but we knew at the time he was listening to it. Um, and he seemed to appreciate the fact that we were like really going deep. So when he died, we had all of his music and, you know, all the other radio stations around the country were just playing a few songs at yeah. repeat, but it's we're repeat going tea. like, no, <laughs> here is, you know, <laughs> we're going to the chocolate invasion. Like we're going to news, like we're playing all of it, yes. like we're, We have it all. We're going to listen to it all. And it just filled up hours and hours and hours. We were going nonstop Prince and not repeating a single song. Mm -hmm. So that I think was the moment that people like you and like other Prince fans around the world are like, what is this radio station doing right now? (laughs) Yep.
0: That is exactly (laughs) when you are absolutely right. And it was like, wow, they are amazing. And I was so excited about The Current. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we
1: had, you know, so many people um, that we had formed relationships with, like associates of his mm-hmm. calling in and giving interviews live on air and grieving together live on air. Just All of these very emotional moments. Um, it was like a friend had died for us at the radio station. I mean, a friend of ours had died. Like it, it's. We shared a space with the classical station. Mm-hmm. Um, classical NPR, which is a national station. And our relationship with Prince was so well-known throughout the building that people were coming up to each one of us individually and offering condolences. Like a friend had died. Like it was like heavy, heavy Mm. days. We actually had a private um, service or like a memorial Mm. party kind of gathering to honor him and like everything that he did for all of us and give us all a chance to like grieve away from the microphones and cameras and everything um that was such a beautiful experience they brought us all to the fitzgerald theater and bathed the whole theater in purple lights mm. and had us all gather up on stage and someone made cupcakes with the symbol on them. and um javier who's this like very talented local artist sang all these print songs with like a grand piano accompanying her and we all just like sobbed and it was so beautiful Um, And it just gave us a chance, like, as people to come together and remember Mm -hmm. him. And I think I gave a speech, but I honestly have no idea what I said, because I was just so overwhelmed. Um, I think a few people gave speeches, and I do remember speaking, but who knows? (laughs) Who knows what was said? (laughs) (laughs) And someone even made, like, a poster that I still have to this day. Like, Mm -hmm. someone's husband was a printmaker and made us all posters. And it was just, like, this really beautiful um, private like community it. yeah 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 like a yeah. very community thing and and um, and then after that it just was so obvious to us that this was a story that was going to continue to unfold not in the way that um, you know our news station their impulse is like we got to figure out how he died and we got to figure right. out what the yeah. estates doing and all that stuff and we're like, like that's not really what' we're focused like, about like, yeah <laughs> what we care about is like There are so many people that he touched both, you know, worldwide as listeners, but also all the people that he worked with. And they're all grieving right now and they all want to talk and they need a space to share their stories. And it just became this very natural impulse to kind of open up that channel and start scheduling interviews and recording them and figure out Mm -hmm. the rest later. Like, who knows what, you know, what we'll do with this in the long run but that continued for months. I mean, it was just yeah. more and more people that we were being connected to and more stories all the time. And that's really my first awakening to this idea that Prince left a lifetime's worth of stories. <laughs> the man had so much that he left behind, like not just music, but also the experiences that he gave to every person that he interacted with. Like, yeah, I have my crazy story about being asked to dance. Like every person he interacted with, he gave them their own unique story like that. Yeah. (laughs) And it's incredible. (laughs) Like just the creativity to like be alive in the world and not just offer your art, but also like crafting a unique
0: interaction with every
1: person (laughs) that you ever talk to. (laughs) It's very impressive. (laughs) And so, yeah, it, 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 it just kept snowballing, you know, it, 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 one thing led to another, and then this conversation got started about doing a podcast, and um, that took a really long time to figure out. And not for me because I'm, it was stuff happening like way above my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Of legal agreements between um, the labels that owned his music and the estate that you know oversaw yeah. what was being created, and the radio station which has its own you know stuff that it wants to do, and that whole thing took like maybe a year to figure out, and um, by the time we got it sorted, it was time to start working on the 1999 uh, project, and um, that was my first kind of like big project that I took on in audio. At that point, I would already done a few things for the estate um, in Paisley Park, but that was like the first really big
0: thing, and then okay. it just keeps keeps unfolding. How, how did how did that relationship though? actually start? Like how did it really begin with you and and the estate? How how did it start?
1: Uh it started pretty quickly after he died. Um I want to say it was like the late fall of 2016. I started uh working for Trevor Guy who Mm -hmm. was um really helping Prince like day to day in his final years and was also married is also married to Donna Grantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guitarist in Third Eye Girl. And Trevor uh, understood their relationship. And he and I had, you know, communicated before when Prince was alive and Trevor would often be the one to email me and tell me, you know, he wants you here. Can you come here and watch? Can you watch him blow Madonna's mind, you know, <laughs> at two in the morning? And can you come here and watch him do this? And <laughs> um, so we, we knew each other and he he understood, like, he was in a position to start making decisions and taking on projects, and mm-hmm. he was extremely intentional about making sure that every part of every project had someone involved that had that tie to Prince. Yeah, um, and he was very
0: and it's so important about that, and it's so yeah, because it's so critical. It's I very agree. critical, and it's something that you just don't want to get too far away from. Exactly.
1: Yep. And that was something that I really, um, valued. Mm-hmm. And so anytime he asked me to do anything, I just didn't feel like I could say no. Right. <laughs> I just started saying, okay, okay, okay. And, it, um, I think my first project for Paisley Park was the, um, books that they put up for sale in their gift shop, um, uh, about the guitars, mm-hmm. fashion, Paisley Park as a mu- or as a building. And then the history of, like, celebration and the previous celebrations that had happened and events that had happened at Paisley Park. And um, I worked on all of those books in a really short time frame. I think I basically had 90 days to finish everything. Wow. Um, because they wanted to have the first celebration that April. Right. And they wanted the books to be printed Available. and ready. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So at that yeah, you got to so, back out of that timeline. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so I remember getting any sleep well, around that time no. at all. Okay.
1: <laughs> and this was also the time when I was finishing my first book. Like I, yeah. I was deep into the manuscript on that. So it was, it was a lot, there was a lot going on.
0: <laughs> how? Did, I don't even know how you did it. How did you I mean, I not kids yet, that. So that
1: helped. <laughs> 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 yeah, no babies yet. So that helped. Um. It was just, you know, and honestly, like, I think covering Prince was a little bit of a training exercise because there were so many nights where I would be out at Paisley Park until three or four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then I would go to the um, Perkins and Chanhassen with my laptop and write about it. <laughs> and then the news station would call me and say, oh, since you're awake, can you come on the news station at 6 a.m.? And then I'd go over there and do that. And then I'm like, well, since I'm already here, I may as well work again, like, because I'm already at work. and <laughs> Just became so many, a, yeah. <laughs> many, um, I started calling them purple hangovers. Like I would just push through and work for like 48 hours and then go home and collapse. I, and I was just kind of, yeah, kind of used to doing that. So not that that's a healthy way to work. Uh,
0: and I uh, learned that, that I can't do that forever. <laughs> moment for you to be ready for this. And yeah, yeah. it's just interesting yeah. how, you know, everything was just sort of the groundwork, I guess, was being laid um, for such a time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, that's why I have a hard time like reflecting on it because I don't think I've ever stopped long enough to really like let it land. Mm -hmm. Everything is just constant and always. And, um, I'm just always on to the next project and trying to figure out how to do a really good job and really focused on like hitting that high bar that, he always,
0: he always did maintained
1: yeah. for himself, you know, um, and that's just really important to me that anytime I am doing something like this, I'm like bringing my full capabilities and just giving it everything that I've got and trying to well, it's coming through. do a good job and, and trying to honor him. Thank you. It definitely
0: comes through. And, and I'm glad I asked you that question first, because that word is influencing everything that you do. Mm. And I, I see it. I, I appreciate it. I see the work. I see the integrity in which you handle the legacy. And I, we all thank you. We all thank you for for saying that. Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, it's an honor. It's, it really is. It's, um, I never take it lightly. It's
0: it's just
1: yeah, very very surreal, very
0: mm-hmm. big, very big.
1: <laughs> there's yeah. there's no words.
0: It's... Yeah. How how do you yeah. um come up with the concepts I guess for the podcasts that are going with these releases? And is that really going to be the the plan um even moving forward? So when there is a release that there'll be a companion series that accompanies it is so that's how it's going to kind of roll out into the foreseeable future. Is that really the plan? Um,
1: I can't speak to any plans, uh, not to be cagey, but i, right. literally I understand. don't understand them. Yeah, I understand um, you
0: mean. Yeah, no, I, I do. Um, yeah. yeah, I, yeah,
1: it's that's what I'll say about that. how it not I don't know them, yes, yes. but that, that is the at plan the time that, that, that we came be- up with
0: how it was yep. going to roll out. Okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. With so it. The original group that came up with this idea. That mm-hmm. was the plan. Um, I don't know what the plan is moving forward. Right. But um, in terms of what I do, traditionally what has happened historically is um, they send me a folder with like 60 songs and no information. <laughs> and, uh, tell me the era that it's covering, and then that's it. Go, go do your thing. <laughs> and and uh, it's a. Uh, it, it usually starts with me in like a cold sweat, making a spreadsheet, <laughs> trying to figure out what is going on. And um, they usually have kind of like bookends to the material, mm-hmm. so they've narrowed in on like a date range of what the material covers and will kind of generally explain to me like why they chose those dates. Okay. But beyond that, I don't get a lot of context and all of my information, it comes from the people that I'm interviewing and Mm -hmm. the research that I do. So, um, first I usually like make a big spreadsheet, put down all the songs, figure out like what dates they were all recorded on, who's on them. Um, what is interesting about them to me? I mean, this is me. Um, making interp- my own interpretations of, you know I'll do research on principles and fan mm-hmm. pages and stuff and see if people have written anything about any particular tracks because a lot of the tracks the fans have already heard in one form or another Right. and then um, I make a list of all the people that would be great to talk to and I start reaching out to all the people and explain who I am and what I'm doing and thankfully that's gotten to be easier now that we've done so many right. seasons um, and I've actually like sorry to repeat some people. So they're like, oh, it's you again. (laughs) (laughs) And they kind of get what I'm doing. And that's been nice. Um, But yeah, it's really so much of my work is trying to be this vessel for other people to share their memories and stories. And I really try to stay out of it (laughs) as much as I can. And the um, conclusions that I'm drawing in my podcast episodes and in the liner notes that I'm writing is all based on what these people are telling me. Cause I feel like they're the ones that would know best because they're like one step away from where Prince was and they can say what he was talking about, how he was acting, you know, what things he was particularly excited about, what movies he was watching, what records he was playing, all these contextual clues are fascinating to me. So I try to round up just as much of that as possible. I end up interviewing people for like two or three hours at a time because I just don't even know what I'm looking for (laughs) quite yet. And some of those interviews, you might only ever hear like five minutes of them. But that's just kind of my very inefficient process <laughs> of gathering. And then I'd get like a ton of information, a ton of tape, and then try to sit down and go through everything and, and look for the stories that emerge out of what people have shared. So that's my process. It's not very organized,
0: but um, it's really fun. <laughs> it's, I mean, they're fascinating. Um, and then this last one, this, this last series you did with Diamonds and Pearls, was just stellar. It Was stellar. Thank you, thank you.
1: I had so much fun. I hope you can hear it. <laughs> it's, uh, yes, it's it, this one was really cool because to me, and I said this in the podcast, but it, it's such a Minneapolis story, and it's mm-hmm. so much of my interest and background and research that I've already done um you know not just with Prince but with my book and other artists here and it was so cool to be able to wrap that up into something and hopefully introduce this city to someone that doesn't live here and have them get why Prince thought it was so important Mm -hmm. and get like the vibe of it and how you can hear that in his music and how these people all came together around him and brought him in a new direction you know and and gave him like this free space to play in because he was really comfortable with them all and it was something familiar and it was something about you know growing up in north Minneapolis as a young black kid with all these other talented young artists Mm -hmm. and and having it ripple out you know 20 30 years later in all these interesting ways like I just I could geek out on that endlessly so I was really excited when um the podcast came up and it gave me this opportunity to just like go really take a deep dive
0: into that yeah Mm -hmm. well it was it was stellar I mean I wow (laughs) (laughs) that is definitely the favorite for me so far definitely definitely thank you um so getting back to your book, I'm going to talk a little bit about your book. Um got to be something here. How'd you come up with the title?
1: It's a song. It's a Sunny T song. It's um, a song he wrote for his band, The Family, back in 1975. And it was one of the songs that he played with Prince in the studio um, back in, you know, before Prince was Prince. Um, I do believe... He had maybe gone to a studio before with Grand Central, mm-hmm. but playing, I think, with Sonny was like a really foundational moment for him because um, he was such a hero to Prince. And you can hear it in every interview Prince ever gave where he mentioned Sonny mm-hmm. just really looked up to this person. And so I just thought that was such a special moment where it's Prince, but he's playing in the background. You can't really hear him. And it really captured what I was hoping to do with the book, which is to write about this community and this scene that where Prince is a character, but he's not the main focus. Right. The main focus is these generations of talented artists who never made it to that level to become a household name, but were equally talented and hardworking and competitive and right. part of this, you know, same network of, um, yeah. of, of musicians so yeah I, I just felt like that was like a perfect encapsulation of what I wanted that book to be wow. is um and hopefully that people would go look up that song and hear it because mm-hmm. I think Sonny has such a beautiful voice he and does I can hear him singing in that song and it's just really special
0: what was the well if you don't want to share that's fine but what was your working title until you kind of decided on that this is the title of this book.
1: <laughs> I think it was just Minneapolis Sound. That was That's the folder on my computer that all the research lived in. <laughs> but then at a certain point, I made a decision that um, it had to be focused on everything but for the fame. Because there should and hopefully will be multiple books written about the artists that came out in the 80s mm-hmm. and made the Minneapolis Sound a term that people use to describe this music, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone from the time to Jimmy and Terry to, you know, Jesse Johnson and Alexander O'Neill and Sue Ann Carwell. Hopefully there will be volumes written about that really exciting period. Um, But what I was most interested in and what I felt like I needed to start with was where this all came from. Mm -hmm. And it came from the generation before them, and I really wanted to lay that groundwork before I could right. even get into telling uh, the stories about how it exploded. So, yeah, that became my my focus.
0: Yeah, that's always just so important. We got we got to go back. It's like let's start with some some things that built, you know, this sound. We got to start there at the beginning, you know, to really understand it and appreciate it, and then give you know those that did those things, their respect, um, that's due to them for laying that groundwork. And absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool.
1: And it's, con- it's continuing now, you know, my next book that is coming out is about Cornbread Harris, who's Jimmy Jan's mm-hmm. father. Mm-hmm. And, um, he is such a great example of that previous generation who has been overlooked, um, for mm-hmm. all the many contributions that they made to, not just the scene, but also literally teaching these guys how to play their exactly. instruments. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. And
1: it's really important to me to, to continue to find ways to celebrate and uplift that generation mm-hmm. because, um, well, for one, you know, their stories are only in existence as long as they're alive to tell them. So I feel an urgency to capture it, capture it, and and, get it out. Yeah. Yeah, and also I just I think it's beautiful to have that full understanding. Because then when you go listen to, you know, Jimmy's work with Janet, yeah. you, can you can hear his dad's yeah. blues piano playing in the composition of the songs. And it, it just, as a music fan, like, I love knowing music on that deep of a level mm-hmm. and appreciating it on that deep of a level. And I hope other people will get something out of that too. Cause I, I just, yeah, I
0: could, I could geek out on that <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> and you have another Book coming, right? Your yes, Prince and uh, is it Prince and the Revolution or Prince and Purple Rain? What is it?
1: Uh, just Prince and Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Forty okay. years. Forty years. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So this came up just um, uh, at the beginning of this year. Actually, hmm. um, the publisher reached out to me, and they've been doing a series. It's a new series of books that are all orbiting around these kind of milestone hmm. anniversaries of albums. And they'd only done two so far. Um, The first one was Dark Side of the Moon. Mm -hmm. And the second one was The Who's Quadrophenia. And my initial reaction um, when the editor reached out to me was, how cool that the third book is going to be Prince. Because, you know, you think about the dusty old canon of white rock music. (laughs) And I'm just so glad to work with a publisher that is thinking that far ahead that they want to include Prince, like, early on in the series. Um, and really kind of reevaluate the canon in that way and celebrate him on the same level as these, you know, other Mm -hmm. rock and roll hall of famers and and the people that, you know, those bands that get celebrated all the time. And, um, so that was exciting to me. I was like, I want to know more about this. I'm so glad that you're including him in this series. I think it's a great way to elevate Mm -hmm. his work to the same level, you know, as these other kind of iconic pieces and, and, um, And then the editor is local, um, and the designer is local. So I felt like getting in on a team where everyone working on the book is in Minneapolis was like a really authentic, cool way to approach it too. So those are kind of the things that, that really made me excited about it. Okay. Um, So you didn't
0: pick those other people. They were already part of the project. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it's just one of those things where, um, you know, People reach out from time to time with project ideas, and um, someone told me a few years ago about a saying, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no, (laughs) and I've been trying to use that as like a a guiding light for me, and for this one, I was like, hell yeah, let's do that.
0: (laughs) I like that. It's like, let's just be definite, you know? (laughs) Yes.
1: If you don't want to do it with everything you've got, then just pass it all. But um, yeah, I, I was really excited to do it. And then, you know, I, I just had another baby. um, So we had to figure out if I like physically logistically had time (laughs) to do it. Um, And it turns out I just barely did. (laughs) (laughs) Just made the deadline. Just barely. (laughs) (laughs) I think I sent my last email, like, 2 p.m. the night that I went to the hospital to have my baby.
0: <laughs> you love cutting it close, don't you?
1: <laughs> yeah. So does the baby, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And her name is?
1: Tanning. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, someone asked me is she named after Tan Hassan? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but I wish that would be hilarious. Um, no, she's named after a family member, but uh, yeah,
0: little, little baby Tanny. <laughs> that's lovely. Congratulations to you. Thank yeah, you. very Thanks. nice. Very nice. So I'm gonna um, wrap up um, this time because you do have little ones that are patiently waiting for mommy. <laughs> yeah, turn. <laughs> So, um, and I think you've answered this, but I just want to ask it in a very clear way so that you then can just form the answer that you want um, to share. But being in the position that you're in, um, what do you see as your main responsibility in preserving his legacy? And that's, Connected with the estate, not connected with the estate, just you as Andrea Swenson.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's to continue to find these authentic stories that talk about him as a person and him as an artist and... I just, I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what I specifically bring to the table in terms of storytelling. And I really think that I enjoy and am good at telling stories that have some kind of emotional element to them Mm -hmm. um, and tying that into the music. So I think that's my mission. You know, I've always felt like on this mission, kind of like what I was saying when I met him to humanize him. And to make sure that he's discussed in context with the time and the place that he lived. And, you know, surrounded in a, by a community of people who loved him. Um, that's so important to me. He loved Minnesota and was so proud of this place. And I feel the same way. And I feel like so much of my work about him is trying to pour this love back into this place and what he meant and what he will continue to mean to all of us here. Mm -hmm. And, um, I hope that that can continue. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure what's next, uh, for me, Mm -hmm. but, um, I'm really excited about the projects I've been able to do. And, um, I just have to trust that more things will come along, um, eventually. And, allow me to keep, keep doing that work. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now.
0: Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for spending time with me on the couch. And where can people Um, find you on socials? I'm slingshot Annie, on pretty much everything. And
1: I also have a website, andreasvenson.com. Um, right now you can order my first book on there and I'll sign it for you. And send it to myself in a purple envelope. <laughs> and I'm hoping um, in the spring you'll be able to order all three books um, in the same place, and I'll send it to myself because I, re- I love doing that. I write little notes to people, and I just love love that part about sharing my work. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. me. great. All right. Well,
0: thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed your time with us today on the couch. I'd like to thank all of my listeners from Chicago, Nashville, LA, Toronto, France, Italy, Austria, Spain, Australia, all over this beautiful planet. Thank you for listening. Please help us grow the community. Follow us on all of your favorite podcast hosting sites. And I will see you next time on the couch.